Is it just audio being recorded? Correct, yeah. We can see each other, but it'll just be the audio that'll go out. Can't see your epic teal screen. It's not quite green screen. Green screen, I think... My color is always inconsistent in my room because I haven't put curtains over the blinds because I really don't want to hide the view. Tessa Mero, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. You are a senior developer advocate at Cloudinary. So why don't you let our listeners know who you are and what you do? I've been a developer advocate for probably the last six-ish years. Before that, I was doing a lot of developer advocacy for an open source software community. Yeah, I've been at Cloudinary for almost two and a half years now and absolutely love it. It's a very fun company and a fun product. If you haven't heard of Cloudinary, it's an image and video API. It allows you to store, transform, optimize, deliver your media assets using an API. You can use widgets, you can use a user interface face if you're not a developer. Basically, if you ever use images or videos in your web application, you definitely should use some kind of media API to handle all of it and have full control of it. Yeah, with the types of people who listen to our show, they're mostly developers. So I think a lot of them are already going to be familiar with Cloudinary. They have at least heard of it. Some may have used it, some haven't. Uh, Chris and I have varying degrees of experience with it, so we'll have a lot to get into. And you do tons of advocacy work, which I really love as an advocate myself. And you already talked a little bit about your background on a recent Jamstack radio interview. So I would point listeners there. We don't need to rehash that whole kind of story because you just told it very recently. But I would be curious to hear a little more about your experience. One thing you talked about that I thought was pretty cool is that you talked about how you taught a PHP class. And I'd be kind of curious, like what that was like, like what kind of class it was. I taught a lot of a lot of classes full time at a college. I started as a software engineer, um, more web application developer building internal engineering tools. But this was 10 years ago. And I started doing part-time teaching evening classes. PHP was one of the first ones while I had that job. And I actually quit my full-time job. Mostly I didn't enjoy the two-hour drive in traffic, even though I lived 30 minutes away from the office. Seattle traffic is just horrible. And I quit my job thinking, I'm going to spend some time building my own software product and become a CEO of a company and just start my own business. And then like one week after I quit my job, I'm like, I kind of don't want to do that anymore. Shoot, I don't have a job. And the part-time like evening classes I was teaching, they called me up and said, hey, would you be interested in working like full-time immediately? We need you to be working full-time. I'm like, okay. And that solved that immediately. So I was teaching all of the classes. There was, of course, a PHP class, a JavaScript class. There was a JS framework class specifically on jQuery. Take note, this was like nine, eight years ago. They were teaching XML, all of the stuff. And because of the curriculum being so outdated, I started going to meetups, PHP meetups, and going to conferences and and workshops and like everything I can just to like get the latest on the programming language and what's modern with this and being able to like update all the projects and make it more fun and, and stuff like that. <laughs> 
That's really cool because for me, I always think of a very strong connection between teaching and between dev advocacy and, and DevRel. And to me, the two are they're very, very interlinked. But I find that that's not necessarily the case for everyone. Not everyone thinks about the job that way because there's a, a wide range of things that goes into it. And I'd be curious what you feel like you've taken away from those teaching years into your, your role today. I actually never knew I had that knowledge and skill to become a developer advocate. My experience with programming and my experience with teaching, and during all that time, I was also going to events and I started presenting at events. And I never thought I'd become a public speaker, but traveling and going to events is kind of like the bonus of being a developer advocate. It's not really the main part of the job. Like the biggest part of being a developer advocate, aside from educating others on using your product, on doing best practices in that generic topic, not just your product itself, but depends on exactly you know what your team goals are. There's so much more to it, such as getting actual feedback from users, and especially new users who's never used your product before on the whole developer experience and what is their journey using it and how can we improve the process? How can we improve the product? How can we improve the documentation? There's just so much to it in developer relations, which is like the team name for developer advocate, developer evangelist. You have to be able to work with different departments and bring this internal feedback loop everywhere. Like the product team, you need to bring product feedback. You need to work with the SDK team and share feedback with them. And the pricing team, the documentation team, the education, whatever team, you're working with almost all of them. And it's critical to have something done with the feedback. The developers are the users, I don't like the word users, of the product, and they know what's best for you. Your company shouldn't be making the decisions. It should be made based on what the developers need, what the customers need. Sometimes those two kind of get split up when they're not really two completely separate things. Yeah, it's funny what you said about how you don't like the term user. I was listening to a friend of mine's podcast, Monarch, and they were having the same conversation that the only time you hear the word users is when you're talking about people using tech and people using drugs. Right. So how did you first hear about Cloudinary? It was through my network. Someone mentioned that Cloudinary was hiring developer advocates, and I started looking into the platform and was messing around with the API. And I was like, oh my gosh, this looks fun. Like This would be something enjoyable to talk about and to be able to create samples and and show people how to use this and be excited about it at the same time. Previously, I was at Cisco Systems for about three years doing developer advocacy for them. So yeah, it was a, a big change from a very big company to a smaller company in comparison. And yeah, a very different type of product. Yeah, you also talked about your Cisco history on the Jamstack radio interview. And I'd be curious to hear a little bit about the contrast between those two different companies. And as you say, going from a very large, more established one to a kind of newer upstart, what kind of cultural differences were there between the workforces? The number one difference is how fast things can move with decision making. Decision making is a lot faster. I wouldn't say how fast things can move particularly because with a bigger company, my department was about maybe 150 people and my company now is about 280 people altogether. And that's growing pretty quickly. I think we're going to be at maybe 380 by the end of the year or early next year. It's growing rapidly. We're getting up there. 
I believe you lead a program for Cloudinary, the Media Developer Experts Program. Uh, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about that and what some of the, the goals are for it. Our MDE program, Media Developer Experts program, started about maybe two, three years ago, and it started out with an idea. A previous colleague of mine started and, and launched the program. I took over the program for the last year and a half or so, and we have 45 developers. And it's kind of like an ambassador program, but not specifically Cloudinary ambassadors. They are experts in terms of how to use images and videos in, in different use cases with different technologies, all things media, basically. So they use different APIs. Some of them don't even use Cloudinary. Some use our competitors. So it's really not about getting them to get everyone to use Cloudinary. It's more like educate other developers, be involved in developer communities you're involved in. We're supporting them in any way we can. Maybe we're sponsoring their podcasts, we're sponsoring their events. We send them to events to help them learn more. So we try to make it slightly different from other types of experts program where they get more value in it than we get value because one of the things that also attract me to this company is they make community first. Our developer relations team really cares, like truly, genuinely cares about helping other developers and being involved in a lot of developer communities. And instead of, you know, sponsoring a conference and just trying to get our name and logo out everywhere, we really get to know the people individually and become part of this community and we contribute in different ways and just countless things that just makes me love it even more. I can definitely speak to that as someone who has seen a little bit of your work and who has seen Cloudinary out in the communities. It always comes across as very genuine that it's never like sticking yourself out there just to be like, hey, look at me, buy my stuff kind of thing. And it's a very, very fine line to walk with this type of work. And people can have trouble knowing exactly where that line is and how to add value and how to extract value. And that's obviously not the term that we, we would like to use, but it's always going to be somewhat transactional, but it doesn't necessarily have to be because it's really about building relationships. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about this job is actually getting to build those relationships. I'd be curious also, like roughly how large is the program? How many people are in it? We have about 45 MDEs. I'm trying to make it so it's more exclusive private invites only. When our team gets larger, we can bring in a lot more people. There's just so much we want to do with the program to make it even better, but we only have so many people to be able to help with it. But one of my favorite things about the MDE program, one thing that I've been doing bringing people in is their involvement in the Jamstack community. A large percentage of the MDEs attend Jamstack events, speak at Jamstack events, and a lot of them organize Jamstack meetups and conferences and all types of Jamstack type of events. It's really exciting. Like our company is just a big proponent of the Jamstack communities. Like for example, tomorrow there's a Jamstack conference that I will be just attending for fun and we are a sponsor. I'm pretty sure we're a sponsor. We sponsor so many events, like I lose track on which one's which. I'm just attending. I think another coworker is handling the sponsorship end of that specific one. That's how you and I met was through Jamstack SF. We had a presentation from StepZen that I was involved in. This is when I very, very first started working at the company. And I have a, a very long, ridiculous story that went along with trying to build out that project and having like an existential crisis around it. And then it ended up being a completely different thing than it needed to be. And then I just kind of showed up and I was like, all right, here it is. 
hope it works. Bye. <laughs> it's a very strange experience for me, but it ended up working out, thankfully. I would like to get into that, but before so, I would actually be curious to know, because Cloudinary predates the Jamstack, I think, in the sense that it's a, it's a fairly old company, and... I would be curious, like, how they saw the Jamstack come up and how they thought about it and decided they wanted to invest in it. That's a really good question. Of course, a lot of people don't like the actual phrase. That's a really good question. Cloudinary started like 10 years ago. It started out as a consulting service of a few people building out web applications and solutions for people. And, and it got to the point where a lot of the customers were saying, hey, we need a way to manage our assets, our media assets. This group of people created a little platform and API to do very simple things. And as more customers had needs, because it was the only one of its kind at that point, the product started growing and growing into its own standalone product. And it wasn't meant to do that. And it just became that over time. Then all of a sudden, it just became a company and they started hiring more and more people over time. Now it's officially a very robust product with countless features. It's crazy how much it can do. We have competitors. There's other video APIs and image APIs out there, but this one's a little different. It just has a lot more that you can do if you have like more complex projects. And it's one of the number one choices for big enterprise companies to use. There's a lot of companies out there like BuzzFeed and Nike and Nintendo. They all are built with Cloudinary. So there's a major project that our team has been working on with Jamstack being an actual acronym for JAM, JavaScript APIs Markup. We're looking at Jam as jamming a bunch of different technologies together. We ran into the situation of people constantly asking, we know you have a lot of examples using Cloudinary, but I'm using this specific tech stack. How do I use, how do I implement media, that media API with this? Maybe I want to generate social sharing images using Open Graph API, Gatsby, and Cloudinary. Maybe I want to learn how to make images more responsive with 11D. Maybe you want to create an image gallery with Next.js. How do you do this? Even if you find a tutorial, then it's sometimes it's just hard to replicate when you have like maybe a different set of technologies you're working with. Maybe you have a different server environment set up. How do you search and find ways to jam all of these technologies together? We decided on creating a project, a community project specifically for the Jamstack community called Media Jams. It's a really cool application. You go to the site. The first thing you do is like kind of select your technology stack that you're using. And then you can select like a, a use case of what you're trying to do. Maybe you're trying to optimize your website better. Maybe you're trying to do very specific things and you can search it all by tags. And then you'll get a list of tutorials. Each tutorial will have an embedded code sandbox available. So you can immediately fork the code and be able to change and, and use the code freely. What better way to onboard and use code that's just as easy as that? Doesn't get better than that. So we're really excited about it. I've been sitting here quite quiet listening to a lot of developer relations and you don't know what I do. I run my own company. I run an agency that made Gatsby websites with Cloudinary. <gasps> Ooh. And then I made a startup that also uses Cloudinary in the background for image processing. So I've been a user of both sides. I think one of the biggest things that we've not spoke about that does really inherit the reasons why to use these things, these things being a media API such as Cloudinary, 
Let's take the user example of me. I build an application. I say, you can upload an avatar. It's a favorite one of everybody. Where do you host it? Who hosts it? Do you want to do any checking on that avatar? Do you want any quality modifications or file type modifications? All of these things are what an API handles and it does it great. But let's take a more complex scenario. For my use case, I have these kind of like generated pages that are rankable on Facebook and Twitter. So you share it, you see this nice image that gets uploaded to one of these meter APIs. And then what is also really cool is the manipulation you can do through these APIs. And that is, for example, not only does it show the image our end user uploaded that's hosted on the media APIs, it is then also now got our logo on top of that image especially for Facebook and Twitter. So there's recognition of our branding, our solution that we're working on. That's one of the big things that these solutions can really help with, but they are obviously come with caveats in ways. APIs kind of can be really hard to deal with if you're not a developer. So that's where these user interfaces came in. I used Clannery, I think two years ago before you updated UI and have since for about a year or two. And yeah, Clownly is really, really good. I was introduced to Clownly through Gatsby, where I first learned about Gatsby images. And we was like, we don't want to host our images on Netlify. We'll host them on Clownly because I've got an awesome free tier. Gatsby images was a really good way to shoehorn Clownly in, in the best and worst of ways is nobody told me to pick Clownly. It was just literally plug and play. It was great. That makes me happy to hear that you have experience working with it and know a lot about it and the value it has. I know the documentation is not the easiest. Like, How do you explain a million things a product can do in the simplest way? It's really difficult without actually showing use cases of how it's being used with code samples. Other than that, going to the documentation site just really gives you all the full details as much as they can. But one of the most interesting things I think about media APIs is that a lot of the parameters are done in the URL in a very specific pattern. Scrolling through the documentation, it's like, okay, Q is to do quality, BA is to do black color, like, and you're like, okay, which settings do I need? And sometimes you can get really swamped by it when all you need to do is set a height, set a width and set a quality and everything else can just disappear into the background. But this is where you say, where do these things work really well? Things like media APIs like Clownery work really well in e-commerce, image-heavy websites. Sometimes, I'm going to be honest here, the worst thing about user-uploaded images is not that they could upload something you don't want on your platform, is that they could upload a 25 megabyte photo. Yeah, that's what things like Clownery definitely do help with. We have a very generous free account and a lot of people use it specifically for image and video storage. And then we started realizing there's a lot of people who think that it's only for storing images and there's a lot more that you can do, like updating and changing thousands of images in real time, just instantly. It's really cool. One of our authors on our Media Jams app is creating an image generator. It's for conference organizers. You put the name of the speaker, 
your logo of the event and their title, and it generates the image for you because Cloudinary has image overlays and text overlays. You can choose the font and it's kind of like a Photoshop in an API. We also have an integration with Adobe Lightroom. You can do a lot more image enhancing, not just image manipulation and transformations, but a lot of quality enhancements that you can do. It's really neat. I still have so much to learn about it. It's never ending never-ending features, especially on the user interface. We are becoming more of a productization company, and they are launching a lot of different products that make it a lot easier to work with the interface side of things. One of the things that Clownery does really well is you have not just your standard tools like competitors, you also have add-ons, such as don't you have one that can remove backgrounds automatically? Yes. Pretty cool if you want to provide that to your customers. Because you have to think about in the end use scenario, it's for you, you're the developer that's implementing these things, but your users literally going to be able to, if you implement something like Clownery, upload an image, click a button, and the background gets automatically removed. And for you, that's probably took five lines of code to add the button in and to send the prop to the photo. So there's some really powerful things. Something that I've not played around with that I would love to talk about is the video side of the platform. Can you explain that? For example, you have a recorded video and you upload it. There's a lot of things that you can do. For example, you can create an add-on that transcribes your whole video and takes all of your audio automatically, turns it to, a, I think is it called an SRT file, and you can actually go in and update the words if it's not 100%, of course, it's not going to be 100% accurate. So you can like update the words, you can change the font and style and exactly where on the video you want the transcription to be. You can add a logo to it, or you can just basically I'm not sure if you can do image recognition on video, and, but there's a lot of different add-ons that you can do with video. Can't you do automatically transcript the videos? It's automatic. It's all automatic. You pay, f I think the first 30 seconds or 60 seconds is free. And then you kind of have to pay since it's a service that's being used. I'm looking at the add-on list. One of my favorite add-ons is the accessibility add-on called Recognition, Amazon Recognition. That take like pictures and then caption them essentially. Actually, there's a lot of different Amazon Recognition ones. The one that I really liked is the auto tagging, which is good for accessibility. It adds tags and makes it so if you can't see your screen, you can have it read to you what the image or video is. Another one that there's like a Google AI video transcription also. So there's different types of transcriptions. There's like the Cloudinary built-in transcription. And you can also do recognition AI video moderation. So with that add-on, it'll just make sure that the video doesn't have anything that shouldn't be on there. Cloudinary likes to keep all of our media assets very clean. You can also create your own apps with Cloudinary video and have it automatically moderated so you don't have to like go in and check every single one, one by one. And what's also really good is that if you're building your own platform, we spoke to you about uploading an avatar, you also provide the tools to upload an avatar. I forgot what the tool is called. You can either upload a file or pull it from Facebook. Is it called File Uploader? Are you talking about the widget, the file upload widget? Yes, yes. So I think that's like the 
2.0 version of the widget where it gives you all of the options you can like import from Dropbox and just select a whole set of images with a lot of different options of where your images are being hosted. So it's, it's pretty neat. I'd be curious actually how you integrate with other clouds because it sounds like you can use different things from Google or from AWS and how exactly does that work in terms of plugging into other clouds resources? With AWS, like let's say you make changes to an image, every transformation you make gets like a backup version of that. And there's an option to store a copy of every single edit and change so you can go back to any version, kind of like get commits where it gets pushed to AWS and you have like a copy of everything. So if something happens, all your backups are stored. But I think it works the other way around where you can pull images from your storage. Do you have more technical questions, Burns, before I go into some more community stuff? Would you say that Gatsby images really help the adoption of Clannery in the Jamstack? I think a little bit of everything. We've been just dipping our toes in all areas of the Jamstack community. We're talking to different technologies and seeing how can we be part of this, like how can we help make your product better when it comes to media? What can we do to work together? We've been working a lot with Netlify. We're working on getting some plugins released for their Netlify plugins area and trying to figure out how else could we integrate Cloudinary in a way that gives value to both sides of us. Being part of, you know, the view community, we go to a lot of view events. I've spoken at some view events. One of our colleagues, Maya, I think she created a open source tool for view storefront, view storefront UI. I can't remember what it was. We can link to that in the show notes. We'll find it. Yeah, I can find it afterwards and, and send it to you. But we're kind of like involved a little bit in everywhere. You know, we kind of fit in all areas of Jamstack. We're a media API and every technology needs to work with media, especially with headless CMSs. We've been a big part with integrating with a, a lot of different headless CMSs and with more on the list to come. The list in the Jamstack community is growing quickly with what we're getting involved in, whether it's a partnership integration or, or whatever it is. Yeah, it's a good segue to what I was actually going to ask about, because when we were talking as we were setting up this interview, you, you mentioned that there's kind of two major things you do first, which was the MDE program, the Media Developer Experts, which you already spoke about. But then you also say that you manage code content for the Jamstack community project. That's the one I talked about, jamming all the technologies together to create that content project Media Jams. Great. Yeah. And so like, what does that actually mean, though, to manage code content? Since we need to have like a lot of content come in at a very fast rate, and we're a very small team that have a lot of projects that we are already managing and responsible for, we have like 20 different authors right now getting paid or contributing code content. So I'm helping with the whole managing contractors and authors and handling the pipeline to get everything in and getting people paid and just the whole, what's the strategy and where we're going with this? What do we need to do next? Talking about ideas on what topics should be involved and what kind of content we're looking for. We're always looking for more Gatsby content and just trying to figure out what's the next step. Yeah, I would love to hear about that. Then where your head is at in terms of how you want to expand out into the Jamstack, what stuff you think is exciting and what you're kind of looking towards is like the next thing you want Cloudinary to kind of get into. 
we want to basically answer everyone's questions when anyone from any community in Jamstack says, hey, I'm trying to do this with images or I'm trying to do that with video, we can immediately get it set up so someone creates a code demo for that person and be able to have it. And it's a win-win for everyone. Like the author who creates technical content, we call a media jam. It helps with their career development. They're creating a portfolio is tied to their name, like kind of like a blog site. And other developers from the community will learn from them and be able to use their code. And the developer community can also submit and request any content to be created. And that's something like we can get done on our end and get that up and running. Whatever developers need and want to learn about, we should be providing as a developer relations team. So that's kind of our thinking around what's like the easiest way to really onboard and learn quickly how to work with a media API. And the focus isn't on Cloudinary, the focus is on the other technologies and how to work with images and video with those things. It's, you know, very meta because you yourself work quite a lot with media also, not only just, you know, developing around media, but you do a lot of streaming. I know you're a, a big fan of StreamYard, which I've actually started to learn a little bit about recently at my own job. And streaming is hard. It's much, much harder than I think most people realize. So I would really love to get some of your words of wisdom of what you've learned about streaming and for people who want to get into streaming themselves, what kind of advice you would give to them in terms of what they need to know and, and how they can prepare for it? The number one most important thing is understanding what is your goal of streaming? Who is your audience? Why are you streaming? Are you going to have a set schedule? Are you trying to build a community? I think people prioritize understanding what is the best possible equipment to buy. And that's one thing I've been doing with a lot of the MDEs who are already in podcasts, who do streams or who's interested in streaming or podcasting. I've been getting them set up and Cloudinary sponsored sponsoring all of their equipment or upgrading all of their equipment. So I've been doing a lot of purchasing on microphones, on the, on the best headphones, the best amp, the best everything. But it's really about understanding what is your goal and strategy before jumping into getting like the best possible equipment for what you're doing. But it is good and important to have a, a clear camera, good lighting, and good sound, or else it'll be like really cringy to listen to. Yeah, it's a similar advice I'll give. I'll say there's a certain benchmark that you need to hit and that you if you can get to that, like it's it's usually not as much as people want, like as much as people think. I usually say you want to go for like an Amazon's basics microphone, which should be like the, the very bottom rung of, of what you would want to do. And then you want to like just have like usually a computer camera is actually fairly clear, but the lighting is definitely a challenge for a lot of people. I still struggle with that. Every single day, my lighting was so bad that I would be completely washed out and look like a fuzzy ghost in my camera, even though I have a high-end camera. And I realized it's not the webcam, it's really the lighting. So I ordered a light and then I realized the lighting sometimes makes it worse and sometimes improves. You have to do more lighting and all the lighting has to be consistent. And I'm always changing my webcam settings. It's a lot of work in its own just to like get the camera to look right. And sometimes you just don't have the time to just adjust everything and make it look good. And then in terms of the actual recording software itself, have you messed around with like OBS at all? Or are you kind of all in on StreamYard? I use OBS. There's two different OBS software. There's the regular OBS and then there's StreamLabs OBS, which we call slobs. And I've used OBS a lot. 
but it's a very old looking software. But the reason why a lot of people use the older version is it's compatible also with Macs. It has a lot more options. With Slobs, Streamlabs OBS, it has a much easier interface and it's a one-click integration with Twitch, whereas you kind of have to put in code and link up both sides. It's more complex and technical to work with. With StreamYards, it's way easy. StreamYards, I would say, is good and it's designed. It also works with Macs and in Windows. StreamYards is good for streaming meetings, streaming meetups, streaming like a meetup style event. Stream labs, I feel like you have a lot more customization you can do with it. Countless customizations you can do with it. StreamYards, you're very limited to what it has, which is only a few things with customizing. So it really depends on which direction you want to go with how you want your streams. If you want to get really fancy and, and do all these like cool stuff with Twitch, because it's being pushed, Streamlabs OBS and StreamYards is being pushed to Twitch. So your viewers will be on, on whatever platform you're live streaming on. Cool. Well, thank you for going into that. That's like very helpful for me and hopefully help for our listeners as well. Uh, do you have any other questions, Chris, before we start closing it out here? No, not really. I think Gatsby is a great platform. Cloudinary. Cloudinary is a great platform. I was about to say I agree with you. I, we're a big fan of Gatsby and would love to have more Gatsby content on our app. Well, I did mean I meant Cloudinary. Chris does this a lot. It's, it's okay. It's, it's very in, in character for him. <laughs> I'm a huge supporter. We can talk about Gatsby instead. <laughs> I love Gatsby and it's still one of my favorite things on the internet. Uh, one thing that was really great, I was doing a Jamstack meetup. I think I mentioned this in another podcast, but it's just a really good memory that I have. This was like two and a half years ago. And in the meetup, people were like, I, I mentioned Gatsby as like an option. You know, if you use, if you're a React developer, this is a, a great platform. And, and someone's like, can you show us how it works? And I've never used it before. I've never even opened the homepage before. I just know like what it was. And I'm like, well, I don't like, do we really want to see it? Like, can you show us a live demo and create something? I'm like, uh, well, you know what? Whatever. I'm doing it. I'm going to do this live right now, right in front of everyone. So I opened up the getting started page and let them know, like, this is me getting started. Like if I struggle, then you, you'll struggle too. And it was like less than five minutes. I launched and had a, a website running. I'm like, wow, I've never seen documentation this easy in my life. Like it doesn't get easier than how, how Gatsby does it. It felt very exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool story. <laughs> I have more respect for a company if they can make their getting started that simple for anyone to easily onboard. Gatsby was my first love of React frameworks. My second was Next and my third was Redwood. Ooh, I think we have Redwood content too in our Media Gems project, but I might message you later about Gatsby content. Please do. I, I do. I do still love Gatsby. Gatsby is really great if you're an image-heavy website. As I said at the beginning about the two scenarios, like one of them is you just want to host images and then get pulled back through an API, then it's really, really good for Gatsby. But then when you're on the other hand of now I want to upload images, that's when it's really good for things like Next and Redwood. I see both sides. Well, thank you so much for being here, Tessa. And thank you so much for all the work you do out in the community and for the Jamstack and for developers more broadly. We really appreciate it. And I love people who make themselves available and put themselves out there and just like 
have a positive presence in the community. So it's, I see it and I appreciate it. And it's, it was great to have you here and give you a chance to, to talk about all the stuff you're working on. And uh, we'd love to just kind of get where our listeners can find you, where they can get in contact with you and any links you want to drop for them. Sure. I think my Twitter is where I'm most active, twitter.com slash Tessa Marrow. I am also active in our Discord. I have a monitor that I just keep open for Discord. The community I'm in is called the Media Developer Community. It's discord.gg slash media devs, M-E-D-I-A-D-E-V-S. And it'll instantly join, or you can click on add server and type media devs and it'll join the server. Oh yeah, and I have a Jamstack meetup that I'm live streaming. And I think the next one is going to be first week of June. So meetup.com slash Jamstack dash SF. And these will also all be in the in the show notes as well. So if anyone needs to find them. Perfect. Stay tuned for, I'm about to announce the next event. That's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and uh, have a good day, everyone. Thank you. Bye. some redwood events going on Ooh, yeah always always love doing doing meetups so hit me up anytime it's a, it's very addicting it's it's i can't stop help <laughs> oh i know i once did two in one day i did react uh jacksonville and then react dallas i did them back to back <laughs> nice